There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. You never want to find yourself out on the water fishing without your essentials. So it's best to always pack a Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie to protect against the sun. Man, I was just in Hawaii and I had my Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie with me. And here's the deal. We're in and out of the water all the time, getting in to go spearfishing, getting out, taking the kids to the beach. I'm not going to mess around all day putting sunscreen on and having to get washed off. I just run a hoodie. Columbia PFG has a lot of great gear. So before you head out on the water, head over to Columbia.com slash PFG to shop their performance fishing gear. Telling you what, Decked is a game changer. Decked has completely changed how I load, organize my truck. All my stuff that I want is always in there, out of my way, and secure. It's perfect. If you own a pickup truck that you use, you know, like a truck, the decked drawer system gives you weatherproof storage for all your gear. You can lock it up, too. You keep your tools and gear organized, job site or out in the field. Go to deck.com slash meat eater to receive free shipping. Go to deck.com slash meat eater and get yourself some free shipping. This is the Meat Eater Podcast coming at you shirtless, severely bug-bitten, and in my case, underwearless. We hunt the Meat Eater Podcast. You can't predict anything. Presented by First Light, creating proven, versatile hunting apparel from merino base layers to technical outerwear for every hunt. First Light, go farther, stay longer. Okay, Rosemary, tell me where... Where did we just spend the last two weeks? Alaska. Okay, what were we doing? We were fishing. Uh, did you know that in um, Did you know that in the book, like the the book I most recently had come out, which is called Outdoor Kids in the Inside World, I write a lot about how you kids like to spend a lot of time flipping rocks over. Can you, in your own words, would you mind explaining to me why it is you like to spend so many hours flipping rocks over on the shoreline? Uh, because there's sculpin under some rocks, and then after you see the sculpin, you hit them with rocks. And then what do you guys like to do with those? Like, tell some of your favorite ways. Like, tell, well, first off, how big is the sculpin? Um, like, I don't know. The average size is like two inches, but they get pretty big. Like about as long as your finger. Like, yeah, like bigger than that. Bigger than your finger? Yeah. And then when you cook them up, how do you like to cook them up? Um, over a fire. And then why, uh, you, you guys, you smash them with rocks. Mm-hmm. What's What's that about? To kill them. To put them out, yeah. yeah. Are there things you find that you don't, that you just find and then look at and let go? 
What do you mean? Like the crabs, for instance, that you find. Yeah. What's the most surprising thing you ever found under a rock you flipped over? Um, probably a sculpin that was all white that had like that had like this really long nose. Oh, and then you came and told, showed him to me like you thought something was maybe wrong with him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, did you find many of those little eels, those gunnel fish this yeah. year? Yeah. How many years have you been flipping rocks over at that place? Well, what? when's the first time that I ever came here? How old was I? Like a little baby, like a little kid. Then like six years. Okay. Maybe. And uh, have you noticed any trends over time? Does it feel like it's the same? Or does it feel like over time it's changed with what you find under those rocks? Mm. Like, is it one year real good for sculpins and the next year it's real good for crabs? Or is it pretty much like those rocks never change? Those rocks never change. You feel that it's pretty consistent? Yeah. All right. Now I'm going to ask your brother something. Jimmy, how, to what degree do you would you go with Rosie on that? Um, I would say that the amount of sculpin and like crab the dungeness that you find out in the deeper water right offshore at uh super low tide definitely varies from year to year some years you'll find uh some years it'll be really really good for big sculpin they'll be in it's kind of just the two different streams in hold on a you, was that like were you disagreeing with that Rose? yes yes okay tell okay you, you don't buy it? Yeah. You think it's consistent? Yeah. Go on, Jim. Um, the You're not even going to take the bait, are you? No. She's wrong. Okay. Go on. Um, the big scoping are either in, uh, there's since there's two streams, they're either in uh, one of the streams. We found some, there's never really, really big ones, like seven inches long. In the farthest right stream, they're always in the uh, they're always in the left stream. Is that right? It always seems to no. be where we find the big ones because no. it's underneath a lot of kelp. It is a lot of kelp, and it's more for the area for the bigger ones to hide. And it's a lot uh, slower moving water, and I think they like that more too. And then the other one is a lot is rocky, very shallow water, and I think the big ones like to be in a little more wider area. And I think that's why. If you had to pick between um. Salmon fishing and flipping rocks and picking up uh, sculpins, what would you pick? Um, I'd say salmon fishing, uh, and I'd say the reason I like salmon fishing so much is because you kind of, like, you know you're, if you go to the... Nope. We'll bleep it out. We'll bleep it out. Go on. If you go to the fun salmon fishing when you go to the <laughs> When you go to the salmon spot, um, you either... Like you're dedicated to fishing salmon or catching flounder if you drop your jig down and try to hit the bottom uh-huh. with your little spoon. But what's I also think is fun about that is seeing the um sea lions, seals, all those other creatures and uh knowing that there could be anything down there in the deeper water. Yep. Do you want do you mind sharing with people what you got in trouble with? What you got in trouble about? Yesterday, it actually happened earlier while you were gone, but you got in trouble about it yesterday. Oh, um, so I 
was so, like, absent-minded about changing my clothes mm-hmm. for, like, two weeks. So That when his mother when I unpacked got- <laughs> his clothing, she was quite shocked to find that all I- of the socks and underwear were still in the socks and underwear bag. <laughs> yeah, That's I, impressive. I wore- two weeks. That is impressive. <laughs> the only time I changed my clothes is when, because my mom uh, took this... Oh, what are they called? Oh, took a vacuum sealer, put um, my clothes in a vacuum sealer, like some clean clothes, and just vacuum sealed it up. And that was for the flight home. For the flight home, that's the only times I changed my clothes. You discovered kind of a hot tip while you were up there about how to prepare for an early morning wake up call. Can you explain that hot tip to people? You just sleep in your clothes, keep your rain jacket and rain pants hanging up outside with your hat. And you just step out. And you just get ready to go. You're already dressed. Yeah. It's a good idea. Yeah. The comedian Hitch, Mitch Hedberg had an idea that he was going to get his clothes made out of blankets. <laughs> so when he laid down at night, he's all ready. There you go. For bed. Uh, Rosemary, this is my last question for you, buddy. Ready? If you had to, what's your favorite thing about the fish shack and what's one area that you could see for improvement at the fish shack? My favorite thing about it is... Here, come up here and say it. You guys, just like you're eating ice cream cone. Okay. My favorite thing about it is... Uh... You eat ice cream cones that far away? Okay. My favorite thing about it is um, salmon fishing. Okay. And what's the area that you think could be a lot better about the fish shack? Hmm. Maybe get a new little, like, outhouse, like, house thing. So New there's outhouse. not so there's not so many spiders. Oh. Spiders in the outhouse. Mm. Okay. And Jimmy got one more question for you. Seth's Seth's A frame there, Seth Kelsey's A frame. Uh what's your take on that place? Um How would you rate the amount of work they did on that place? I would say they did nine out of ten on getting everything Ooh. ready. Ooh. Um I'd yeah, say I'll take that, that when Jimmy. They got there. It looked like a grizzly bear took her two cubs and destroyed everything in that house. And then it hadn't been touched for five years, which is grizzly bear part didn't happen, but the other part did. Mm -hmm. That's what it looked like. And they got it whipped into shape. They made it look really good. Okay. Thanks, Jim. I appreciate you guys coming and giving us a download, man. One last thing, and I'm all done. You guys can go about your business. You came in here and sat right in that seat, and you and me told a story about a thing that happened to us where we had a real close call. What did you think of that? Do you think people should check that out? Yeah. um, A lot of love went into that podcast. (laughs) (laughs) All right, you guys can run along. Dad, why didn't I get to tell my turkey story? You said I would. So, hey, why didn't you get to what? Tell my turkey story. You said I would. Oh, you want to tell a turkey story? Yeah. Okay. Rosie, also, you uh, you were eager to tell, you wanted to tell a story about something that happened to you. Yeah. Okay. Let her rip. Let's hear it. I want to hear it. So, we were in a turkey hunting stand because we were turkey hunting in Texas at my dad's friend's place. And, um, uh, there was like a bunch of turkeys that came along, and my dad was like, "Oh, that's a bearded hen." 
And I was like, cool. <laughs> so then um, my brother was like, oh, I want to shoot it. I want to shoot it. And I was like, well, I want to shoot it because you get you got first turn on wild pigs. Mm-hmm. And I got first shot on turkeys. So I took a very long time to aim. Mm-hmm. But then I shot it. It was Bearded Hen. Yeah. What's Mommy's new nickname? Bearded Hen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> All right, buddy. You ready to go? Yeah. That was a Thanks. good story, Rosie. <laughs> See you, Rosie. Bye, Rosie. <laughs> All right, we are not in Alaska. I point that out only because we were supposed to be in Alaska. Yeah. Yeah, but why didn't we're we sadly in not in Alaska? Do you really want to know why we're not in Alaska? Because <laughs> we had to come back you guys and record are a podcast. Because Seth left it like he left a day early, and when I went looking for him, I couldn't find him. So we're recording back in our studio. Is that a true story? It's Seth? Seth's fault. I, I you guys were there for I like fourteen was, days, and he knew. <laughs> And no, listen, knew. I when I got there, I said, just so you know, I have the podcast kit. And he was like, Yep, we'll we'll get to it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, I was waiting to build and up experiences. I took that as uh <laughs> he will come find me when it's time. And then you let the clock tick out and then and then let the day early. Steve decided that it was time to record after you were gone. Well, we were out of time. I went mm-hmm. looking for him, couldn't find him. Mm-hmm. Listen, it's tough to it's tough to find a time for that kind of stuff up there, Corinne. Yeah. Long days. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot a lot of stuff that needs no downtime. Uh Seth, I just want to re, re uh I Seth and Kelsey and then Kelsey's brother and your her brother's Kelsey's here. Seth's Seth's now wife mm-hmm. is here. That was a great wedding, isn't it? When I got up and did the wedding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you did a good good job. Um a lot of people still talking about it. These two are how, married. These two are married now. Uh, they bought a shack next to our shack. And what I think is endlessly funny is that uh, when I was up there this June, I looked up and something seemed different. And I realized that <laughs> the entire front porch had fallen off of the house. Yep. And crumbled into the yard. It's funny because when we bought the thing, we had made all these jokes about how it would be great even if it fell over. Oh, ha, ha, ha. Even if it falls over, it's a good idea. And it actually kind of fell over. Yeah. <laughs> it's rough, man. I do want to talk to you guys a little bit about shack, shack ownership. Yeah. Which, which, we're gonna, which, which I want to get into in a little bit. A uh, couple things to get into up top. Then we got a whole bunch of stuff we're going to cover. Bro, do you got like a grizzly report and a wolf report? Uh yeah, I can do both. You got a doll sheep report. I crossed out the wolf. Report. That's all right. Just oh. uh, lots of new lots of news to cover off on. Uh, first though, up top. So, Crin, have we already dropped? We already dropped the story, right? Mm-hmm. Cam From, Kirk Connell's on last week's episode. Yeah, yeah that's that's my understanding. Mm-hmm. But to uh to reiterate, campfire stories too. So we did. If you remember back, if you uh, you faithful listeners, if you remember back, you'll remember we did an episode where we closed the episode um, with a story by Sam Laurie where it was called The Mud Puddle about a game warden in pursuit of a sociopathic elk poacher. 
And that was Meat Eaters Campfire Stories, Close Calls. Well, the follow-up to that collection is out now, which is called Meat Eaters Campfire Stories, Narrow Misses and More Close Calls. And it includes lots of good stuff. So we got, I mean, you'll hear from the people involved, a couple guys stranded on an ice cake in the Arctic Ocean with a polar bear. Uh, a guy who had to shoot at his own friend to save his life. A guy whose life was saved by his dog after he blew himself in the leg duck hunting. Oh, goes on and on. Jeez. It's got more blood in it than, uh, it's like a Quentin Tarantino movie. The amount of bloodshed. I have not listened to it yet, and that's making me, just what you said there is making me excited to. Oh, the bloodshed, isn't it? It's, it's like, yeah. it's great. It's like. Yeah. A lot of it, it, but see, here's the thing I like to point out. It's called Narrow Misses and More Close Calls, so it they, they all have happy endings. Yeah. If it was, if they had all, all died, I point out that it'd be hard to make the recording with them. <laughs> Indeed. Very hard. Uh, the other day, the kids like to, I don't know if you were there, uh, the kids like to shoot 22s mm-hmm. at the shack, and they're supposed to always verify that no one's in the outhouse. Not that the outhouse is downrange, but it's like off to the side. Yeah. And Jimmy shot, and someone yelled from the outhouse, hey! And then he got in trouble. But then the person came out and said, if you kill me, I'll never talk to you again. Um, what did Jimmy there was say? A, <laughs> there was a, a near miss with uh, starting a fire there. Oh, yeah. Jimmy's cousin burnt, singed all of his hairs. <laughs> I, I watched that. It was harrowing. The, the hair on his head or his... Basically, they was engulfed were trying in to use an accelerant to get a fire going. A lot of lessons are learned at the shack. <laughs> people get in trouble. People get in trouble for various things. I don't know. I'd be lying if I said people didn't get in trouble up there for various things. It's a safe space to learn life lessons. Uh, it looked like a special effect at a concert. <laughs> oh, shit. So... A lot of bloodshed, but happy endings. It, it's like a, it's a riveting collection of stories. So we go out and we comb, we we go, we use our listener network and other places to find great stories. And one of the things we talk about in the collection is how many stories come to us from people's kids. People write in and be like, "You have to try to get my dad to tell X story." Um, and it's out now. It's called Meat Eaters Campfire Stories. Narrow misses and more close calls. I don't know how many hours is it. It's a lot of hours. Last what one is it like six, five, six, six ish. Yeah. plus six hours of listening? It's a Penguin Random House audio original. The last one debuted on the bestseller list for audio. This one is riveting. I think you'll love it, and I hope everybody goes and checks it out. I don't think we have immediate plans to drop another episode to drop another story on this show. But refer back if you if you if you're titillated, go back to last week's episode or whatever the hell. Go back to yeah, what, what was the week. episode called? Go back to if there's lead in the air, there's hope in the heart, and scroll to the end or listen to the whole damn thing, whatever suits you, and listen to the story, the best shot of my life, to give you an idea of what you will find in this audio collection. But you got a road trip, drive to work, whatever. This thing is it's like we kind of sweat it out over you know like a podcast are a little bit free form. This is, it's like we sweat it out over every second of this thing. It is very, very carefully crafted. Um, 
I'm, I'm sure you will love it if you go and check it out and, and give it a listen. Um, also, first episode of our new culinary show on YouTube uh, featuring Kevin Gillespie, who a lot of people know from Top Chef. It's called Sabretooth. It's out now on our website and on our YouTube channel. In the first episode, Kevin hunts oryx in Texas with Jesse Griffiths. They do a big butcher project on the animal. They hook up with Danielle Pruitt to prepare meals from the oryx. Following episodes will drop later in the year. The next one will include our beloved Clay Newcomb from Bear Grease and Bear Meat. And also, this like this series coming out coincides with a culinary giveaway. This giveaway runs to August 31st. Okay, so if you want to enter the culinary giveaway, go to TheMeatEater.com. Okay, you can enter to win. It's a $3,500 value. You can get a processing, so a meat processing and kitchen gear package that is curated and selected for you by Kevin Gillespie himself based on your cooking preferences and style. So this will include some assortment, some agreed-upon assortment of uh, lem product, lodge, staub, a cutting board, a kudu grill, etc., so you go enter at TheMeatEater.com, and the package has a $3,500 value. It's, it's just it's a giveaway, okay? What it is, though, so you'll get on the phone with Kevin Gillespie, and he'll talk through like your cooking preferences, what kind of meat you got in the freezer and whatnot, okay? And then he will pull together a meat processing and kitchen gear package curated for you. The package will include lem product, lodge product, staub product, you get a cutting board, you'll get a kudu grill that suits your needs, etc. Then, on top of that, you will get a one-hour-long private cooking class held digitally, so it's like a remote cooking class, a virtual cooking class, with Kevin Gillespie. Kevin will develop a recipe specific to the winner and what that winner has in their freezer. Cool package. $3,500 value at TheMeatEater.com, and that is to celebrate the release of Sabretooth, our new YouTube series, hosted by Kevin Gillespie, which is launching right now. All right, so we're going to move on now to something we've talked about a whole whole shitload on this show, and that is the now infamous, the famous Wyoming corner crossing case, where some hunters went from public land to public land and stepped over a section corner and got in trouble for having their shoulders having passed through the air above someone's private property. And we followed this case exhaustively. So an episode, the most recent one, we, we, we touched on it a while ago, and we had a, an episode called All, All Up in Your Airspace. More recently, episode 342, we had an episode called Getting Busted for Touching Air. In it, we, through our advocacy of these hunters who are fighting these uh, civil and criminal cases against themselves, we've helped drive a lot of people to go to a GoFundMe site, which is defending, which is a legal defense fund for these hunters. Okay. As we covered when we had them on, so these guys are from Missouri. We had the Missouri guys out here in the podcast studio and did this episode with them. At the time, they had finished up their criminal case. They were not guilty in their criminal case, but they have a civil case now brought up against them. And the civil case is going to get, the civil case could really help set the precedent for this. Because if these guys 
cross a corner, again, never stepping on private land. They're placing one foot in public land on one section, and they're placing the other foot in public land on the other section. In these guys' case, they actually used a ladder. One side of the ladder was on public land. The other side of the ladder was on public land. In the act of climbing over their ladder, their body passed through some like corners of private airspace, and that was criminal. Um, of course, what's at stake here is the landowner is very much wanting to have that landlocked public land all to themselves. They don't want public, they don't want the public on the public land because they can control access to it. But what they're pretending is they're pretending that they're worried about this little piece of airspace for a half second that someone passes through it. For the civil case, the guys need, and if you if you listen regularly to the podcast, we follow this and follow this. For the civil case, the guys need, get this, it's a big ass for everybody. Um, we will go in and, and, and I feel like we'll probably, we'll probably take money out of our land access initiative. We should talk to Callahan about this. Take money out of our land access initiative fund and kick in so we're putting our money where our mouth is and we'll do that. Uh, these guys need another $35,000. Right, they need twenty five up quick, and they're going to need another ten down the road. Uh, a friend of ours in Wyoming, Jared Oakleaf, who's helped keep the prize of the whole thing, has even offered up like they got some ideas. Um, we've talked about maybe auctioning off the ladder. What, what's funny is one of these guys is a fence builder. It's my favorite detail. <laughs> He's a fencing builder. He's great, yeah. So him being intimate with fences made a ladder to get over the fence. We talked about making shirts, corner crossing ain't a crime, whatever. Doing a book signing event. He's throwing these things out. Like, I suppose that would be me doing a book, size and a book signing event in Jackson Hole. Whatever it is, we got to raise money for these guys. It's an easier URL at the GoFundMe now, though. Yocorner.com. So why? No. Sorry, from the top. W-Y-O corner. So W-Y-O-C-O-R-N-E-R dot com. And that's where you can go find the GoFundMe site to help fund these guys' legal defense. Now, what's at stake? What's at stake is this. There are multiple Western states that are pretty hazy about whether or not corner crossing is legal or illegal. In, in, in Montana, for instance, they recommend against it, right? And it's generally been widely understood to be not allowable, but the tide is turning and people are getting educated about this issue. It would open up millions of acres of public land. Whatever happens to these dudes in court, okay, in this civil case, and they get fined or whatever, like whatever happens to these guys isn't going to change the law, okay? But it's going to, if they can prevail, it's going to really make people question trying to prosecute people for the practice. So this isn't like a U.S. Supreme Court case is going to once and for all decide the fate of legal, of corner crossing. But if they can throw the book at these dudes the way they have and put the energy and money into trying to prosecute these guys for crossing over a little teensy-weensy bit of private property airspace while hunting public land, the next guy is going to be like, I'm not going near that shit with a 10-foot pole because we already saw what will happen. 
it's like these guys can probably pull it with the right legal defense. These guys can pull it together and beat the civil case. And it's like, it's like, it's, it's a, it's a slow battle that needs to be waged. This is a, it's a slow war that needs to be waged. This is a battle in the war is getting these guys off of these charges that they're facing. It doesn't end it, but it goes a long way toward helping it. The next real big battle I want to pick up, and this is a big one, is I want to pick up um, taking on, in my home state of Michigan, first getting Sandhill Crane. Let me guess. Dubs? That's the, that's the, that's the white whale. Mm-hmm. It's so ins- first stupid. First step one is getting sand, a Sandhill Crane season for Michigan. Step two is the white whale, which is a Michigan dove season. But first, the corner crossing problem has to be addressed. Then fourth is getting wildlife management in Yellowstone National Park handed to the states of Wyoming and Montana and turning it into a wilderness area. Let's take care of all Sunday hunting before Yeah, I was going to say, let's, let's <laughs> tackle Sunday hunting, too. And then a universal orange hat law. Used to be very anti-orange. I think it should be a national, like, the, it's like an orange hat. <laughs> and that's an orange all. hat. That's yeah. what, what that's what Wyoming does. Orange hat. Yeah, I'd be fine with that. Orange hat during big game big rifle game. season. Big game rifle. Orange hat. I'm down with it. And I don't want to have the feds. Uh, like, I don't want to have the that's feds. Big government. Cram- I, I, fed. I don't want to take that approach. <laughs> what I want to do is come up with a case so compelling that the states willfully adopt it because they're like, no, there's an idea. Yeah, it'd be a hard experiment to run. The, I think I talked about this, but my kid got accosted ice fishing by a guy who was mad at him because his dad thinks you should be able to hunt Yellowstone. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to find that guy beat his well, his little took us. Uh, so if that's you, let me know. Um, in the end, it'll be of the Wyoming corner crossers. It will have required. It's, it doesn't sound that. It's like depends on how you look at it. It doesn't sound that bad. In the end, it'll be that it costs, so the three Wyoming corner crossers, um, their legal defense will have been about 26500 per hunter. Yeah. Meanwhile, the taxpayers of Carbon County, Wyoming, have footed the other side of the bill over something that they probably aren't that worked up about. Four, on behalf of a out-of-state landowner. You know what you should do? You know that show Law and Order? Mm-hmm. <laughs> we should have a meat-eater produced version of Law and Order. This would, this would be it, make a good movie. Yeah. That's a good idea, bro. You could do poaching cases and all Do those sorts. usually end with shootouts? Dun, 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 dun. Isn't that, that the song? Dun, no, dun, it's not. Dun, it's dun, like courtroom dun. drama. Oh, it's courtroom drama. Yeah. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> <laughs> Phil will just take that recording and make the... <laughs> yeah. We've <laughs> already got our theme song. Dun, 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 dun. Dun, 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 dun. So, big, uh, big heads up on that, man. As much as people can do. And like I said, I'm going to like... Uh, did you make a note to go tell Cal that we got to, you know... I, I actually already just emailed the both of you. What did Cal say? Not yet. I mean, I literally sent it. One minute after you first said it, or less. I'll put a bug in his ear tomorrow. Since. Uh, want to touch oh, on this too? Oh, he responded. Do we read this out loud? Well, no, read it first, then read it out loud Kay. if you like it. If he says hell no, from his iPhone. 
I'm not opposed to that. Would be well worth it to get the ball rolling. Oh, there you go. See? Good job, Corinne. <laughs> Some great producing. <laughs> Live on the air. Rain or shine, every day is a great day for fishing, right? And you probably got rain gear, but you shouldn't overlook sunny day gear. Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite Hoodie has you covered on the sunniest day. Man, I was just in Hawaii and I had my Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite Hoodie with me. And here's the deal. We're in and out of the water all the time, getting to go spearfishing, getting out, taking the kids to the beach. I'm not going to mess around all day putting sunscreen on and having to get washed off. I just run a hoodie. I mean, who wouldn't trade a sunburn for a trophy fish? But why do it if you don't have to, especially when this Solar Stream Elite hoodie is built with broad-spectrum UV protection? We're talking UPF 50, and it has airflow, so you don't overheat. And what's the alternative? Putting down the rod every half hour so you can slather on some sunscreen. Seems like an easy choice to me. So if you're going to be spending long days out on the water, and I sincerely hope that you will be, head on over to Columbia.com slash PFG and shop all of their performance fishing gear. Hey man, after years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if you've learned anything, it's that there is always a catch. So when I heard that for a limited time, all Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, well, what's the catch? But it turns out there isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, Go to mintmobile.com slash meat eater. That's mintmobile.com slash meat eater. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash meat eater. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 per month. New customers on first three month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Man, I'm just coming back uh, not too long ago from youth turkey season in Wisconsin. Now, last year at youth turkey season, it rained and snowed the whole time. This year at youth turkey season, it was in the 70s and even up to 80. So me and my kids are pouring it to it. And after a while, I realized they didn't drink anything all day and they haven't drank anything all day. Well, that's why it's important to get hydrated and have something you're going to like to help you, encourage you to get hydrated. doesn't matter. Outdoor events, turkey hunting, playing sports, beach days, mountain adventures. Summer requires extraordinary hydration that's built for everyday dehydrating moments. With three times the electrolytes of the leading sports drink, plus eight vitamins and nutrients in a single stick, it's clear why Liquid IV is the number one powdered hydration brand in America. Tear, pour, live more. One stick plus 16 ounces of water hydrates better than water alone. I'll say that again. Hydrates better than water alone. Turn your ordinary water into extraordinary hydration with Liquid IV. Get 20% off your first order of Liquid IV when you go to liquidiv.com and you use code MEATEATER at checkout. That's 20% off your first order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code MEATEATER at liquidiv.com. Wildfire season just starting now. And holy cow, man. I just want to discuss the, the 
two, two bits of Alaska news. Um, three million acres in Alaska. You know when you're trying to describe how big something is, you always like you always talk about how it compares to Connecticut or Rhode Island <laughs> or something. I get a little bit burned out on that. But they've burned an area the size of Connecticut. If you look at a map of everything in Alaska that's on fire, it is they have fires. It's crazy. It's, it's from just... everywhere from the from. If you imagine just the Brooks Range line, okay, from from west to east and down, the whole state is dotted with fires. Even one out in the Aleutians aways. Southeast Alaska full of fires. Oh my goodness, that little island. Holy shit. 530 of them. 530 there's, fires there's cranking. There's probably more. This was like a couple yeah, of days ago. A couple yeah, days ago. probably more. Massive. My uh, my bro Danny was going, taking his boat to go mushroom hunting at a different fire and had to cancel because of new fires. New fires were keeping him from getting to the old fire. Just yeah. cranking. Shh. That's crazy. I I never like pictured Alaska burning that much. I was one time hunting um on the north slope of the Brooks Range and we were hunting caribou and way off you could see this tundra fire. Oh really? Yeah. You know? And it was cold as shit. It was October, snow, ice. And one day we walked over and you could just stand next to this slowly moving tundra fire. It won't go out till the snow puts it out, you know. Yeah. You could stand there and warm up real good, but you had to walk a mile and a half to get there. But you could walk a mile and a half over there, away from camp, away from the river, and go get warmed up as you wanted to be at the tundra <laughs> fire, and then come back to where we were camped on a gravel bar and freeze your ass. Wow. <laughs> so it's like a mile and a half, you know, a mile and a half to walk over there and get your hands warmed up. Yeah. Every time I'm up there, it's just like raining. So it's kind of hard to picture. One of the things that's driving a lot of that fire is the 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 beetle kill oh yeah right so they had like the whole like you know the kenai peninsula was almost like denuded of of, of spruce mm-hmm. right and so in a lot of places the fires are that beetle kill cooking off yeah that's what led to a lot of did you notice bad going, fires in colorado too did you notice going into ketchikan um a lot of their hillsides are turning brown nope I asked Vance what he thought it was. He wasn't sure. He said it might be from light snowpack. The uh, oh really? Yeah, apparently the cold temps will um, freeze the roots. Got it. I guess the snowpack help prevents that. Yeah, I don't. That's just yeah. I don't know for sure, but in all fairness, Alaska burned. So here's the other years that Alaska on record has burned 3 million acre, like it had a 3 million acre fire season. Now, the weird thing is fire season just getting going, right? Uh, so they're already so at 3 depressing. million. They burned 3 million in 2005. They burned 3 million in 2004. They burned 3 million in 1990, 1969, 1957, and 1950. And that's when accurate counting of acres began. So it's not like unprecedented. It's not unknown. But things are just getting started. A lot of fire burning. Oh, here's a good transition, Corinne. You didn't even build this in. The size of Connecticut has burned. The other day we were talking about Connecticut and we were saying, what I do just, they call I themselves? I just wrote that in the script. 
You didn't say, oh, here's a cool transition. It says, speaking of Connecticut. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we're on the same way. We're, like, we're slightly different. I get that idea. Uh, I missed that part. Uh, a few, so a few episodes ago, we covered off on mountain lions in Connecticut, and someone wrote in about truthers and deniers. And we were talking about Connecticuters or whatever they call them. Two people wrote was it in. Was ke- uh, Connecticutans? Was that what it's called? Yeah, that's yeah. so good. Two people wrote in to say that what they're called is uh, nutmeggers. <laughs> <laughs> that settles it. There was a pro- apparently, there was a problem in Connecticut once upon a time where you take a little chunk of wood and carve yourself a fake nutmeg. For what reason? To then pawn it off on some unsuspecting person. And they actually had to ban the practice of Whitland fake nutmegs to sell to people. And they're called nutmeggers. My old man, here's a hot tip for you. My old man in World War II, he was, for a while, he was stationed in North Africa. And he said they made a lot of money. Smuggling? Nope. You get a carton of smokes. Okay. Oh, okay. I Did I tell you this story? No, no. You get a carton of smokes. Uh, the locals... We're dying for American cigarettes. Loved American cigarettes. So my dad would say you'd get a carton of smokes and you'd pack it full of sawdust. And then you'd put two real packs on the end. And then when you stopped on the trains and they were being transported, you'd hold the carton out the window and haggle over the price. And you'd haggle over the price of the carton of cigarettes until the train was ready to start moving, at which point in time the deal would be finalized. You would then hand them the sawdust-packed carton of smokes and take the money, and then uh, you were like a bad person. You became a swindler. A, a swindler. <laughs> yeah. But he, I don't know how he justified it, but he would tell that story like he's quite proud of himself. <laughs> <laughs> well. Just a swindler. Uh, yeah. Nutmeggers, um, <laughs> which is also apparently a soccer move. What's the move? Hold on one sec. You're asking Steve. Yeah, if he knows, if he if he knows that it's a, or is that from the email? He goes on to say, I would note that nutmeg not only refers to the aromatic spice, but can refer to the act of passing a soccer ball between an opponent's legs to a teammate or oneself. Just found out my kid's going to play soccer in the fall. A little oh. bummed. My, my condolences. <laughs> Your fall's over. Uh, you know the Cam, uh, how do you pronounce that peninsula? I've never been there. I'd like to go there. Kamchatka? Kamchatka. I think it's that. Yeah, Kamchatka. Kamchatka? There's a there's oh. a vodka called that. Russia's Kamchatka. Alaska. Yeah, Russia's Alaska. It's a peninsula the size of California. It has like steelhead runs. I know that. They got, I think I yeah, they got yeah. steelhead runs. They got like great hunting, moose hunting, mm-hmm. brown bear hunting. Uh, a helicopter. This was interesting. This was interesting because we just had it. We recently did an episode with a, a biathlete. A helicopter being flown by a well-known Russian biathlete, Igor Malinovsky. Igor. You think it's Igor? Gotta be Igor. Yeah. Always Igor. Igor, listen, I don't like speaking ill of dead. <laughs> Igor Malinovsky was flying with a couple businessmen, one named Zoya and one named Sergey. Ser- July Sergei. 16th. Sergey? Ser- 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 How do you say it? Sergey? Sergey? 
Sergey and that. Igor. <laughs> Did you ask him? No, that's how you pronounce those names. Tell me again how it is. Sergey. Sergey and Igor. Igor. Hel- helicopter crash. And then they found this is the crazy part. They found the bodies way far away, consumed by bears. The bears drug the bodies out of the helicopter, mauled them, and consumed them far away. Do we know that they were alive when the bears found them? That's my question. It says it was seen to be a fiery crash. It is, here's, this is a quote. It is believed the corpses were dragged away, mauled, and eaten by wild bears that populate the region. One of the highest densities of brown bears on earth on that peninsula. And, An uh, estimated 10,000 to 14,000 bears live in the peninsula. Geez. So that's about the population estimate for brown bears and grizzly bears in all of Alaska. And they're placing that on a California-sized Whoa, chunk of ground. Crazy. Way Jeez. more than that's Western nuts. United States. <laughs> that's nuts. Yeah, yeah that'd, that'd suck to survive that, that <laughs> crash and then get mauled by bears. Yeah, I would. Be stuck there immobile yeah, while just they drag like, you out of the helicopter. Yeah. You're like, whew, survived that one. See, yeah, big bear comes and kills you. That's the kind of story I wouldn't put in close calls. Yeah, you couldn't. You couldn't do it. Nope. I asked uh, Paul Schomer, our guest, and he was on episode 327, a gold medal podcast, if he knew Igor. And he said he didn't know him personally. He definitely knew of him. And then he said that the situation is classic Russia. You can't just be a helicopter crash. You had to involve a bear as well. So it's like a one thing that would make it even ending. more classic is involve bottle of vodka. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. We're not sure if, if, a, if yeah, a bottle was recovered from the scene or not. Okay, Brody, hit us with uh hit us with um the latest grizzly report. The latest this was bound to happen report. Yep. Bound um, to happen grizzly report. Uh if you're not familiar, there's a uh, very famous grizzly bear in the Jackson, Wyoming area. Grand Teton National Park area, uh, Bear 399. Books written about it. Who's that photographer that made her famous? Mangelson? Don't know. He's one of the guys that applied for it. Whenever they had the draw for grizzly bear tags, he drew and then wasn't going to use his tag. Oh, he was trying to draw it and then throw it in the garbage if you want. Anyway, he was real worried about this bear getting shot. Um, These bears... uh, are constantly in contact with humans in the Jackson area. Um, Roads get closed down for them when they're in neighborhoods, things like that. And uh, what day did this take place on? Just a couple weeks ago, it looks like. Um, So mid-July. One, she had four cubs that she ra- basically they're they're raised to adulthood. They would be adults. She's going to get rid of them this year. So two years old, I'm guessing. Um, and one of the cubs, a male, uh, was killed by fish and game officials for 13 recorded conflicts, uh, human, human bear conflicts. And they, they finally had to kill that bear to keep people safe, basically. Are people having a total conniption about it? Um, it's incredibly unfortunate, photographer, author, and bear advocate Tom Mengelson said at the latest incident. Um, I'm sure down there, but but that's the reality. Like, I think a lot of people don't realize how many grizzlies across the western United States end up 
being, you know, they like to say euthanized by fish and game officials. I, I mean, it's probably, I have no idea, dozens and dozens of bears end up getting shot by fish and game officials. So I'm sure people are working over up a, about over that. a course of time. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. but yeah, yeah. A, a bunch a year. Yep, yep. So and, and this one seems like it was it was just bound to happen. Um, fish and game officials, fish and wildlife service officials say they continue to ask for the help of residents and visitors to secure attractants around homes, rental properties, and businesses. The actions of those living and visiting bear. Uh, visiting grizzly bear country remain vital. So it's like, you know, typical stuff. It's uh, a fed bear is a dead bear kind of thing. Uh, moving on down to it, uh, someone wrote in needing advice on an ethics issue. This is a, this is the thorn. This is the thorny one because it get, get, it becomes like le- it's like one of those places where legal and more like legality and morality collide. Do you feel like it's not an easy answer for you? No, it's not an easy answer. When I read this, I thought maybe for some people it would be. Well, like I said, it's morality and legality, mm-hmm. and, and and I'll get it. I'll, I'll get into. I'll get into it a little bit. This guy says I have a question for the consideration of the podcast Brain Trust. In short, if you encounter a wounded animal of your target species, so that's important. A wounded animal of your target species while hunting, what would you do? Harvest it or let it walk away and wait for a healthier alternative. I'll tell you, uh, I've done every variation. Yep. Mm. Um, in the in the not so distant past, I have, and I wouldn't now because I'm I'm just more. I, I when when I felt there was a moral issue that collided with a legal issue, I would go on the moral issue side. That's what I would generally have done in the past. I have in my day killed two mangled up deer while deer hunting that I did not tag. Mangled up meaning shot by hunters and wounded. One had been shot and lost and one had been hamstrung by coyotes and somehow made, probably maybe in the water, right? made it out to a little teeny island. And I found it on this little teeny island. Mostly dead, but not all the way dead. Mm. Mostly dead. Mm-hmm. So my thinking was, um, it's going to die. It's going to be here, dead. Uh, and I shot it left it. Another time, I was sitting there, and I'm sitting in this bottom of this coulee, like a, more like a, like a tight little box candy thing, and down comes a deer with her back ham shot out. A lot of exposed meat, exposed bone, all packed with dirt. It didn't happen just like minutes. It was days, days old. Also, no way, shape, or form was it going to live. I shot that deer. So, so I didn't tag the first one. I just shot mm-hmm. and left it. I shot that deer and crossed the line because I ate a backstrap off it. But did not tag uh, it. Mm-hmm. But didn't tag it. Mm-hmm. We ate a backstrap that night. I shot a wounded mule deer buck once and tagged it. You did. I did. And I've and I've done that. We even did an episode. I was hunting coos deer one time and shot a wounded coos deer buck, and then met the guy that had shot it. Yeah. Was he was still up looking for it, but he was just glad that I got it and I kept it. I tagged it because he had shot it three days prior. Mm-hmm. I, I think a lot of people like 
take this stance that morally they're obligated to do it because they, they assume the animal's going to die this horrible death. But deer can survive some pretty brutal stuff. Like there, when I, back when I lived in Pennsylvania, there was a doe that was all had been shot on one of her front legs. And for years and years, she was in the same field, you know, across the street from my friend's house. They called her, of course, tripod. But, like, that deer got shot in the leg and lived for years. And, you know, I think people just assume they're going to die this horrible death. Yeah. You know? And the the, the incidences I'm talking about, maybe there's more I'm not thinking of, it wasn't going to live. Right. Now, I did it, and it's, like, I I did that. You can't do that. If, If... yeah, you could kill mm-hmm. it and tag it if you have a yeah. valid tag, but you can't do it. Now, here, my thinking evolved on it for for like if I was in a similar situation right situation right now, here's why I wouldn't. I wouldn't because one, like, I might not totally agree with the law, but I understand why it's there, and I don't want to sort of like take on, I don't want to sort of like challenge the whole foundation of the regulatory structure by saying, if you don't agree with it, it doesn't matter. Yeah. The second thing is, is you'd be like, if you see one that's been shot by a gun, you'd be like, well, that's not natural. Right. Or like humans did that. Humans should finish the job. But then you're sort of saying that like, like hunting the, the, the hunting the species is unnatural. Right. Just as coyotes might chew it up and it gets away. A hunter might shoot it and it gets away. Mm-hmm. Um, so now I wouldn't, but, but, but to be clear, the primary reason I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to, I don't want to like get fined and get in all kinds of trouble for doing it. Yeah. Just keep it. And it's just like, not, it's like not, it's not worth it enough to me. And I get why they have it because it's like, you're trying to limit, um, you know, there's not a ton of room in that when it, when it comes to like the tagging process and the regulatory structures and tag allocations, there's not, a, it's not built in for a lot of like personal decision-making. Yeah. It's, I mean, you got to follow some pretty clear cut rules that are already confused. I mean, they're clear cut, but they can be confusing as to what you're allowed and what you're not allowed to do. And if you don't shoot one you know, you're not going to get in trouble for anything. Yep. You can always call your state game agency. If you have a cell signal. If you have a cell signal. I've heard stories of um, guys calling game wardens about that kind of stuff, and they say, you can dispatch it. I'll be there. Like, right. Make sure you're there when I get there. Mm-hmm. But, uh, and like, sometimes they'll give you permission to do that. That'll well, happen a lot with roadkill, or, yeah. in, you know, deer that are injured by car. Someone will give you permission to put it down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The one that I've so I've accidentally shot wounded stuff where I didn't know I was wounded, yeah. and later found out I was wounded. You killed a bear that had been wounded, yep. and you didn't know I was wounded. The sh- the deer I shot, I knew was wounded, but I knew it was wasn't wounded that bad. Like that deer would have survived. Yep. It had been hit in the ankle bone and shattered its ankle bone, but he was getting around pretty good. I could see he had a weird little limp. Right. And I and I got him like like realistically, I probably wouldn't have got him if he hadn't been injured because he's just kind of doing a weird thing. He's like crossing a hillside at a weird time. Everything about it just seemed like a little off. Like why he was where he was, when he was, you know? Yeah. Just seemed off. But I could see that he had a little limp. I didn't know what it was. And I got there. I was like, oh, he'd been shot. And then not long after I butchered it, here's a guy on a hill coming down my way and he's had spent days looking for it. To, oh, his, wow. to his credit. 
And he didn't try to contest my putting my tag on it. He was happy as hell. He just wanted to know it. Had he finally could like put it put it to rest. Yeah. But that deer was totally fine. Like ate the whole deer, no problem. One of the things you get into, like these other deer I'm talking about, there's no way I would have. Like I ate a backstrap off one. If I had to do it and then just put my tag on it, I wouldn't have done it because I wouldn't have wanted all that compromised. I wouldn't right. want all that compromised meat in exchange for what I could get, which would have been like something better. Yeah. And I'll point out, both the ones I'm talking about were does. But I was in a legal doe area anyways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it just comes down to personal decision. You know, There's no right or wrong, right? <clears throat> if you want to burn your tag on it, go for it. If you don't, you're not obligated to. Oh, here's another one of these narratives, little stories. I was sitting there with Yanni one time in Colorado. You remember this? Mm-hmm. And I catch buck a glimpse. Of a lifetime. I catch a glimpse <laughs> of a buck coming, and all I see is he's got antlers hanging down around his jaw. <laughs> as I'm looking through the brush, he's way off. But here's a deer, and I look, and I can see antlers around his jaw. And I'm thinking, if he's got that many antlers around his jaw. Imagine how many he's got on top of his head. <laughs> so I said, holy shit, buck of a lifetime. <laughs> Only to realize it was a little dinky buck who just got hit by a car. Got, oh. his, got his head gear and knocked his, off And his, his skull cracked and his antler oh. was hanging down around his jaw and he had nothing up top. Yanni never, uh, Yanni still teases me about <laughs> didn't this, me didn't, It wasn't a buck of a lifetime. Me declaring him a buck of a lifetime. <laughs> but we tried to go after him and give, get him, but he gave us a slip. Yep. But he, I, I don't know what was going to happen to him. A lot of times, those that ha- those type of injuries, they survive. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. That's the final bit for this for this listener that's writing it in. Is like the final bit to consider is they can live through some crazy, yeah. crazy stuff. They can live through stuff you would never live through. I remember going to a deer process when I was a kid in Baldwin, Michigan, and this guy had not a coffee can. He had coffee cans full of broadheads that he'd pulled out of deer. Yeah. I shot a bull one time that had a bullet lodged in it, like, in his back strap right next to the spine. And, I mean, it, it had to have been years ago. Yeah, I had that elk vertebra that's healed around a broadhead. Yep. There's no way that that elk wasn't limping for some period of time <laughs> after that happened. Right. And some guy could have been like, I should put him under. Well, that bull went on to live. Mm-hmm. So, I'd put it this way. You remember a long time ago when we covered this thing where uh, Florida was doing a mortality study on deer, and they were trying to advise hunters how to how to they were advising hunters on how to behave toward deer that are wearing a GPS collar, and they're saying, don't shoot it because it has a Jeep. This, they're like, this is a mortality study. We're trying to study what kills deer, including hunters. And they're saying to people, don't shoot it because it has a GPS collar. But then don't not shoot it because it has a GPS collar. <laughs> they're like, try if you can to do what you would normally do. <laughs> When you see a deer with a GPS collar, because we're trying to find out like what actually kills deer. Yeah. So my advice on wounded stuff would probably be if it's like you really want it and it's wounded, go for it. But don't feel obligated to do it. 
Here's another one. Ready for another one? It says, I sure could use your help in solving a marital issue. My <laughs> wife thinks I'm dumb. <laughs> I don't know. She's right. I'm going to need more information. <laughs> he goes on. Oh, this is good for you Pennsylvania boys. Growing up hunting in central Pennsylvania, I've grown accustomed to referring to animals with the same singular and plural name. Sure. Because in many cases you should. One deer, two deer. Right? Mm -hmm. That deer, those deer. Yeah. <laughs> One bear. Two bears. <laughs> <laughs> two bear. A lot of bear in those. He woods. says, really? So he says, he goes that he says this. One deer, two deer, one bear, two bear. One dove, many dove, etc. <laughs> I like to think that I'm consistent. Squirrel, rabbit, turkey, fish, you name it. He goes with the same program. In my opinion, if it's multiple animals of one species, the logical thing to do is to refer to them with the same singular and plural word. Now, he goes on. My wife wholeheartedly disagrees with me and has taken to polling friends and family alike on this particular issue. The bear versus bears conundrum has become somewhat of a de facto party game at this point. In our ever-expanding sample size, one thing seems clear. No one has the answer, and everyone's usage is different. So in your expert opinions, what is correct? Please tell my wife I'm not dumb. Thanks, Dan. <laughs> I'm with your wife. I don't think it's like, it's like, it's not one thing or another. Well, no, it, it, there's no consistency. Exactly. I think it's a usage thing. I would never say, I know guys growing up, they'd say, I saw two buck. Totally. Yeah. It's like a, oh, I was going to say that. Very much like a, I don't know if it's regional or time oriented, but yeah, there it's like a way people yeah, talk. And this fella, Dan and I grew up in the same county, okay. probably. How do you know that? Well, he says Central Pennsylvania. Well, the hell of a county. Center County. Center County. Oh, <laughs> oh <laughs> says two Pennsylvanians. Um, That's about as central as it gets. Everyone talks like he does. Yeah. They so do. I uh, saw a two buck. Yeah. I don't uh, think that's right. Like, like, I know people do it, but I think it would be, I saw, I, I would never say I saw two deers. Right. From no. a grammar teacher's perspective, it, I saw one. It ain't right. <laughs> I saw one deer. I saw a couple deer. I would say that. I saw two deer. I saw two deers. Yeah, I would say I saw one, I saw one deer. I saw two deer. I saw a couple deer. I would then go on to say, I saw one bear. I saw a couple of bears. I saw mm -hmm. two bears. Mm -hmm. I saw two bucks. I saw two does, but I only saw one deer. <laughs> I saw three deer. Two of them were does. Or you caught one perch, or you caught a mess of perch. Not perches. Right. Wow. We used to joke about that. I'd like to return this purchase. <laughs> <laughs> when you caught a perch you didn't want. Um, yeah, I, in, in central Pennsylvania, it's common to be like, saw, saw a few buck today. Couple does. Is there actually an answer? I think it's just like like I said, it's it's 
grammatically, yeah, I think there is. But regionally, they'd be like, go to hell. This is how we talk. Yeah. I'm trying. I wish I could give the rule. I think that if you went to like Harold Bloom, is he dead? Not sure. Okay, you went to Noam Chomsky, who's actually trained as a linguist yep, before he became he an is. activist. You went to Harold Bloom and Noam Chomsky, who are both dead. No. Did Noam Chomsky pass no. away? Either way, you go to a linguist. <laughs> He's hanging on. <laughs> <laughs> you go to a linguist. I prefer Harold Bloom over Noam Chomsky. Noam Chomsky's a conspiracy theorist. Did you know that? He's still alive. Yeah. Like, uh, he, he's like a big critic of American exceptionalism and all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, That's different from I'm not going to go to him. I'll go theory. to Harold Bloom. <laughs> uh, and when you ask them, I think they're going to tell you that it's, that it's, it's, that, that you saw one deer, you saw two deer, you saw one bear, you saw two bears. I, I agree. But then again, there's a picture of, you know, a bunch of crabs on the wall, and you could say there's a bunch of crab in that bucket. That's right. a lot of crab. <laughs> no, you could say that. Oh. You could definitely say that's a lot of crab. Yeah. See, it's not Look so black and You wouldn't crabs. say that's um, a lot of shrimps. No, you wouldn't. No. Hmm. Forrest Gump might. You know what? Can you There's contact? Can you contact bucket. a linguist at some local university or something and find out? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And record them giving mm-hmm. the answer. Yeah. Uh, contact someone I mean, from Penn State University since yeah. it's Central Pennsylvania. <laughs> Do that if you can contact a linguist or a handful of them and record them saying what they think. Why what I'm saying is true is true. Guess who was born <laughs> in Pennsylvania? Seth. Noam Chomsky. Oh, he was. Hmm. Mm. Uh, one of my favorite <laughs> quotes from my friend Matt is, uh, I'm giving this for listeners so they can use it too. Someone explained something to my friend Matt and he said, I don't know why that's not true, but that's not true, <laughs> which I use all the time. Yeah. <laughs> Cause it feels a certain way. It's like, you're just like, there's means. no way that's true. I like, I haven't looked it up or anything, but there's no way that's true. So we could probably say this guy is not dumb, but he's not right either. Debbie don't think he's dumb. Okay. We gotta no. give him we gotta give him an answer. As far as I know, his wife's dumb. <laughs> he's the one that wrote in and he wrote a well worded thing. I just don't think it's a matter of dumbness. I think it's a matter of rightness. Mm-hmm. His wife, but she might be dumber than a stump. I don't know. She hasn't written a letter in. <laughs> You're gonna get one after that. <laughs> Did you know Rocket Money can cancel a subscription for you? They'll even alert you when there's been an increase in a subscription price and negotiate rates for you. I can see my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, Rocket Money can help me cancel it with just a few taps. You wouldn't believe how many people are paying for subscriptions they don't use. This happened to me. It's annoying. This helps you find it out and get rid of it. Well, Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions and monitors your spending and helps lower your bills so you can grow your savings. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year 
when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. That's rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. Rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. Rain or shine every day is a great day for fishing, right? And you probably got rain gear, but you shouldn't overlook sunny day gear. Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite Hoodie has you covered on the sunniest day. Man, I was just in Hawaii and I had my Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite Hoodie with me. And here's the deal. We're in and out of the water all the time, getting to go spearfishing, getting out, taking the kids to the beach. I'm not going to mess around all day putting sunscreen on and having to get washed off. I just run a hoodie. I mean, who wouldn't trade a sunburn for a trophy fish? But why do it if you don't have to, especially when this Solar Stream Elite hoodie is built with broad-spectrum UV protection? We're talking UPF 50, and it has airflow, so you don't overheat. And what's the alternative? Putting down the rod every half hour so you can slather on some sunscreen. Seems like an easy choice to me. So if you're going to be spending long days out on the water, and I sincerely hope that you will be, head on over to Columbia.com slash PFG and shop all of their performance fishing gear. Looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life? Aura frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos. These things are super cool as a gift, especially if you got mom, aunt, grandma, whoever, and you want to like keep them up to speed on what the family's up to. Okay. It's easy to upload and share photos via the Aura app. And if you're giving an Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. Named the best digital picture frame by Wirecutter and selected as one of Oprah's favorite things, Aura frames are guaranteed to bring joy to moms of all ages. You can share photos to the frame instantly from anywhere, meaning you share videos, photos from any device, and they will instantly appear on the frame, wherever it is in the world. There's no memory card required. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code MEATEATER at checkout to save terms and conditions apply oh speaking of grammar uh hot off i didn't know this i haven't seen one yet like literally sam james just told me they're live like they hit today do you guys remember when a guy wrote in and he we had a good laugh because he wrote in a letter about it was like basically like sexual violence among turkeys (laughs) And it was a long letter that was all one sentence. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that was, was Mark great. Kenyon was here, and Mark Kenyon said, Mark Kenyon was in the studio, and Mark said, you ought to put that on a shirt. And that's what we did. My Ins- new favorite shirt. Inspired by episode 338. If I remember correctly, I, that, that story slash sentence gets a little dark, doesn't it? Oh, <laughs> oh it gets real dark. It's violent. All right. It's dark and violent. It's a one sentence story. Get them while they're still in stock, folks. <laughs> it's one oh, yeah. never ending sentence about <laughs> sexual violence among turkeys. It may be the best one sentence story oh, ever yeah. written. It involves necrophilia. <laughs> <laughs> Do you send that fella a free shirt? A little shirt? bit of a gangbang. No, oh, yeah. yeah we'll oh, yeah. We're going to sign. So yeah, we published it. his. It's a, it's <laughs> necro. It's everything you don't want your kids to get involved in when they grow up. All on one T-shirt. We published, like, the whole, his whole letter in a very small script on a shirt. 
which is called the Turkey Letter T-shirt. It's the Very, Turkey Letter uh, T-shirt, neutral and it's like name for that shirt. The most kind of horrifying <laughs> letter we've ever gotten published on a T-shirt. <laughs> In very small letters, but if you look carefully, with if you get a little reading glass or like a little magnifier, yeah, you can read or it. get real close to it, you'll be able to read a story that is, will curl your hair. Um, yeah, if you go on the website, you can zoom into it and see it. Can you read the story if you zoom in? On the website, you can. This is just like a screen grab. Yeah, dude, I'm gonna live in that shit. <laughs> Now, is there a picture There's on nothing better than having so. a shirt with a lot of writing that no one will ever know what it is. Literally no picture. Steve and I had this argument. Corinne because wanted to put Hunter, his Hunter like, drew this really awesome little like small turkey cartoon with like the, the eyes x uh, I, I think just the text is better. Yeah, yeah I and like Steve just the wanted text. just the text, but I really But it'd be cool that. if it was on the front and the back, because then someone exactly behind you on the plane could read, read the story. I don't want him doing that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Because <laughs> then you're going to think you're some kind of weird sicko. <laughs> you want to limit who you want to limit who actually gets to read the shirt. And when it's up front, you can monitor what's going on. Will you on. please yeah. stand still for five minutes yeah. so I can read your shirt? But if you're just blasting through the grocery store, people are going to be like, my God, I just caught a sentence. And holy cow. I'm reading it right now. It's alarming. <laughs> Great t-shirt. The turkey letter t-shirt. Oh, yeah. Available oh, yeah. now. Right? You can at themediator.com. Oh, you can read the whole thing. Did you thing. grab me one? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where is they're it? Not, they're not. We got it. We got oh, it. Oh, they're at the place that ships yeah, the stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude, I'm going to live in that shirt. But man. seriously, everyone can read that passage if they just put their little mouse over the paragraph. And they can read the whole thing. Wow. <laughs> should sell a magnifying glass. Yeah. It, it, comes, it comes with a jeweler's lens. <laughs> And it comes with a stick so you can beat off people trying to <laughs> read your T-shirt. Oh, Kelsey, uh, here's the thing I got to ask you about before we get into your um, your Alaska experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, Heffelfinger wrote us a letter. You donated. Mm-hmm. Tell, just tell, you tell the story. Um, Jim, actually, I had no idea that this was a thing until he uh, pitched it to me, but the Western Association of Fish and Wildlife Agencies, I think they have a... I think I spoke to that org one time. Did you? Mm -hmm. They have a yearly get-together, I think, in... I think I spoke at that. Oklahoma City? No. No, I don't remember Well, maybe it moves every year. I'm not sure. But this year was in Oklahoma City, and they had an art show as part of the event. And it was a juried art show where people would send in um, their pieces and... It would be judged, and then the pieces would be auctioned off to benefit the organization. So he uh, put that on my radar, and I sent in three prints to the show. And they sold for a bunch of money. Yeah, they sold, and um, I actually won Best of Show for with one of my pieces, which is cool. It's a nice little resume builder. Um, so, yeah, all-around great experience, and I wouldn't have known about it if not for him. So. That's thanks, great. Thanks, Jim. And he'll be on the show soon. Oh, we're having half a finger on pretty so. soon. Yeah. Yeah. I've never met Don't him. Meet. Sounds like such a great guy. He's one of the smartest dudes on the planet, man. Yeah. yeah. He was awesome. He was updating me on the event like every couple hours, sending me an email. <laughs> tell tell people about your gallery in, in Three Forks. Unless you don't want to tell them about it. Um, no, I would love to. I like it that someone came in and asked if you were married to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I married her. <laughs> That's, is that I was what like, you said? I was like, no. Thinking of somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, I get people in all the time 
asking about meat eater and like podcast fans. And stuff? Yeah, yeah. Our the neighbor the neighbor. Do they ever buy anything? Yeah, all oh, the time. Okay, we'll plug it then. Yeah, um, it's funny because I actually I went full time in as an artist after our Alaska trip last year. I had oh, decided right. I had I set it up like this was real sweet. I had decided that I was going to put in my two weeks at my job before we went. Yep, from ag but, from ag to artist. That's what I call it. From ag to artist. Yeah. But I hadn't told them, so I went on the trip like just in the best mood, knowing I had that in my back pocket. But anyway, um, I went full time last year, and then in November we moved to Three Forks, the town of Three Forks, Montana, and in January I opened up my own studio and gallery there right off main street so and it's been great it's an awesome space and do people so people just come in and buy stuff yeah so do most days you make a sale yeah yeah i would say it's pretty consistent at least one every day it's nice because i don't i used to work from home um which i never realized how distracted you can get working at home so everybody always asks me like is it distracting having people come in because i'm painting or drawing the entire eight hours a day that I'm open, but people can come in. It's actually less distracting to have people come in than it would be to just like work at home and, you know, go do the laundry or take the dog for a walk. It's it's go time when I'm there, regardless of whether people are in or not. Give people your Instagram handle so you can go look at it so they can see your art. It's, Her stuff is mind blowing, everybody. Thank you. <laughs> it's K underscore Ray Artworks and Ray is R A E. Why'd you come up with something so hard to remember? I don't think that's hard to remember. <laughs> I couldn't use my last name. I was anticipating getting married at some point when I started my business. So raise my middle name. Made that happen. <laughs> Check. Yeah, Seth said, yeah. He's like, if, if, if you didn't want to change your name, he's like, well, then let's just stay boyfriend-girlfriend. Well, all right. <laughs> that was never said during the time that I was deciding whether to change my name or not. That was only brought up after. Where he's like, well, I tell you what I would have done. Yeah, if that he would have he would have had it be Mrs. Seth Morris's <laughs> art gallery. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Catchy. Uh, so you're down there painting away, and people, mm -hmm. if they come down there, you're in there painting away. Yeah, it's cool because you walk in. It's two rooms. The first room is my studio. So you walk in, and the first thing you see is like me and whatever I'm working on. And usually, I chat with everybody that comes in. And then they, you kind of continue on to the second room, which is a gallery. And that's where all the art is hanging. I have originals. And then there's a whole wall of frame prints and just prints. So it's a range of prices and stuff for sale. But you can kind of come in and chat with me. And then you can kind of have your own little time in the gallery where I'm not like, you know, there looking over your shoulder. It's a nice flow. And you sell originals and prints. Mm -hmm. Yep. And I still do a lot of my sales online. I still have everything available there and I ship quite a bit across the country, but it's nice to have the space uh, where people coming through Montana can come in and come see the work and come see the work in progress. That's been a cool part of it. How many hours a day is someone yakking at you down there? Um, It depends. It, it really depends. Like it's not even, it, I thought it would be more on weekends, but it it's, just variable. I can't like say on average. I have a few frequent visitors. Is there visitors. typically someone in there or typically not someone typically in there? Typically not. Okay. Yeah. It's it's a nice mix. It's enough for me. That kind of makes the day go faster for me. Yep. Do you keep regular hours? Yeah. Tuesday to Saturday, 10 to 6. 
Like a banker. <laughs> yeah. It's like I have my morning routine and then I go in there and I'm open for an hour after people typically get off work. So that kind of allows. Do you have a gone fishing or a gone hunting sign that you hang on the door? I just, when we went to Alaska, I said gone fishing. (laughs) (laughs) Close to August 2nd. Yeah. So uh, tell people about the shack you guys bought. Seth? Um, So the A-Frame. The A-Frame. A-Frame Adventures, LLC. (laughs) So I'll go back a little bit. When I first went up to your place, um, that place was for sale. And... I came home and was like, hey, Kelsey, there's this, uh, like I told her about the whole trip, how awesome it was. I like instantly fell in love with that area. And I was like, uh, there's this place right next to Steve's that's for sale. We should like check it out. And she was like, yeah, whatever. Um, really? Yeah. Well, yeah I mean, no, you showed me a picture of it. She had no it, connection but... to the area. Right. And, what, you know. yeah. and then I came up. So, and then last year she came up. And got to actually experience the the area, and she too fell in love with the area. So we came home, um, and it was actually her who was like, "We should seriously start like looking into this, um, and you know, see if we can buy it." So we couldn't do it just ourselves. Um, we couldn't afford it just ourselves. So we got a couple. Um, buddies involved, one being her brother, Bob, and our our other buddy, Ben Levy. And uh, they were like, we, we mentioned the the idea to them that, you know, we're looking at this place in Southeast Alaska and it's like not easy to get to and a lot of things about it. It's a pain in the ass, but um, once you're there, it's like the best time you'll ever have. And uh, those guys has never been up there. Um, but they've like watched the show and have seen kind of like what goes on up there. And it like took no convincing at all. They were like hundred percent in. That's the kind of people you need. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why we thought of them. We had, they had been out to Montana for a turkey hunt the year before. So we had experienced like a camp setting with them and a hunting experience with them. So we knew what we were getting into with that dynamic. And it was great. They're like enthusiastic, willing to come up and do the work um, we work well together, so it was kind of a no-brainer. And we had tried to pitch it to a few other friends, at least one or two, to you know spread out the cost. But it ended up being us four that were really in for it, and it's a great dynamic. Mm-hmm. How do you deal with the fact that like everything's rotten and kind of ruined, and you'll <laughs> never get it right? <laughs> you just have you, that's just oh, there's a level of that. I feel. I mean, let me know if this is right or wrong. That you're just never gonna conquer right there's structural issues as far as like the rotting things go that we are fixing right away um but it's the fish shack in a corrosive environment where you're not there Mm -hmm. all year to control so most things that we've bought in our life up to this point have been (laughs) messed up in some some sort of way so it's like wasn't a big shocker it's like oh yeah just something else we got to fix up we approach it like like the goal for me, the goal would be that you had a place as tidy and durable and clean and neat as a Coast Guard station. Mm-hmm. But that's never going to happen. And like every year would be like the thing is for me to to enjoy the rest of my year, 
every year I have to know that our shack is a little better than it was last year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I can honestly with a straight face say, as long as we've owned our place, every year we leave it and always we leave it in better shape than it was the year before. Like we've built on a little bit. We overhauled engines, like worked on this dock project, changed the plumbing. Like it's always a little bit better. Mm-hmm. I think the you'll system, never get it right, but it's always a little better. The system yeah. you guys have is super cool and it works well because if you go to that place over time, you're able to appreciate the shit that was done three years ago or five. You know what I mean? Like yep. it's like, there's, it's always improving, like you say. And, you know, even as a visitor, you learn to appreciate those over time. Yeah. It's super cool. Going into it for me, like, there's only so many pieces of property up there, right? So my mindset was, I don't care if this place falls down tomorrow. It kind of did fall down a little bit. <laughs> In a little way, yeah, it <laughs> fell down. But I, w- I didn't care if it fell down tomorrow. I just wanted to be able to lock down that area mm-hmm. to eventually, because I knew someday... Like I said, even if it fell down tomorrow, someday I'd be able to, or like we'd be able to put a, a new cabin on that place. Yeah. So. Get yeah. your foot in the door. And yeah. I, I like, I like that aspect of it, that it's always something to be working on because it's, it's kind of like a project and I like projects and we have already done in the one time that we were there all together so much work and such an improvement over when we first pulled up. So like, it's exciting to think about, um, over the years, what it's going to accumulate to. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that you guys went out doing like the four owners and we did four owners. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people look at that and think like, man, that's not a good idea mm-hmm. for four people to pitch in and buy like a permanent thing like property. Yeah. Yeah. But we have, we just like, haven't run into a problem with it. And it, it, and the thing is, we would never have done it if we couldn't have done it that way. Because mm-hmm. it was the difference between everybody coming up with 20 grand or like someone coming up with 80 grand at that time. Right. And no one was going to come up with 80 grand. Right. Yeah. I'm curious how, like, if you have anything that has been a manage from a management standpoint, how you do that, like a, from a group. Nothing ever. For so, us. So, oh. I was going to say for us, like the four of us have very different strengths that we bring to the table that are all necessary for this purchase. So I think it's going to, you know, be that moving forward, that dynamic between the four of us uh, beneficial. Like there's really no overlap. We need each other to make this work. For sure. People get different areas. Uh, I think it's a great strategy for people buying like hunting properties, recreational properties, mm-hmm. whatever. And we do it like someone's always working on a project. Like someone's always spearheading a thing. And you generally do it where you get everyone's like, yeah, that sounds like a reasonable idea. Um, we This year we got like a whole new like stainless steel counter in our kitchen, right? Which is sweet, by the way. <laughs> and we had all bitched about the ply, the rotten plywood one. Mm-hmm. I was like, I'm going to find one. So I found this dude who's welding and fabrication and catch can commissioned him to do it. No, I never shared the plans with anyone. Right. Mm-hmm. I arranged to have it delivered. No one would ever be like, that's not what I would have done. Like everybody's yeah. like, great. Yeah. And then we share the cost mm-hmm. and we have a lot of visitors, but the way we run it is like visitors, like gas pay for gas, groceries, expendable stuff. And we all share maintenance, 
like mm-hmm. like boat issues, maintenance issues, anything like semi permanent or permanent, like we just share the expense. That's how we did it yep, this year. We that's had three our program. friends come up. It just makes sense. That's a natural way of running that. Yep. Um, and what's nice about that is it's very obvious when you're up there what the weakest link in the property is. So like that naturally becomes the next project. Um, you know, I, I don't foresee a scenario with our place in the next 10 years where it'll be like him and Han on what needs to be done. Exactly. Yeah. That's one of the things I'm glad we've never run into the problem of is we've never had somehow magically or not, maybe it's just the, the way it should go and does go, or maybe we've got lucky. We've never had a person not be supportive of what the other people were supportive of. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody's always been like, yep, sounds good. Yeah. Our problem right now For a is a long time. Yeah. Our problem right now is we want to do so much and we're just like so gung ho and enthusiastic about it that we have our list of things we want to do next year is like a million things long. So we need to prioritize Because you put up against the financial realities. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And the time limit. I mean, we're only up able to be up there for a certain amount of time. So, yep. so and, we did we did our whole shack this year. We did a new counter, did everything in packs, mm-hmm. right? Next year, like the one thing I know is we're going to replace our on-demand hot water heater. Mm-hmm. But we didn't want to do that until we did everything in packs. Yeah. So now the next step, on-demand hot water heater, and then, you know, whatever else down the line. Mm-hmm. How do you – here's a question. How do you um, – prioritize like you're up there and you have all these things that you want to get done on the house work wise, but then you also want to enjoy being there and go fishing and exploring and time with your family. Like, do you, does that just kind of fall into place naturally? Do you it ever... falls into place naturally, but we'll go into a summer knowing like we need to dig yeah. a new privy hole. Yeah. So n- dig a new privy hole, move the owl house. We're like, we definitely need to do this, whatever. Mm-hmm. And every year we get more done than we thought we would. Yeah. Do you ever leave wishing you would have just relaxed and fished more, had more, like less work, more no. fun? Yeah. No, we got the perfect balance. I would engage, I would jump into the exact same thing somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Like I, I want to do the same thing down in like Grand Isle. Yeah. Louisiana, which is like the Alaska of the South. Mm-hmm. Like, I want to do the same thing down there. I would do the same thing anywhere. Mm-hmm. Not anywhere, but I would do the same thing in, in really rich fishing environments. Mm-hmm. I would buy another shack with a bunch of people and just use... I should write a little pamphlet on like how to do that. Yeah. Or how we've done it with success. Yeah. Part of that pamphlet would be, you better plan on doing a lot of work. Yep. Because... Oh, it's so much work. <laughs> you, you tell people you're going up, up to your place for whatever a week... Oh, going fishing to Alaska. They're like, oh, that must be so nice. You're like, well, (laughs) you know, it is, but like you're working nonstop. Mm -hmm. It's like not a relaxing fishing vacation. It's not for everyone. We went to the bookstore in Ketchikan and we were asking about any literature that would be um, tied to Prince of Wales. And she pointed out one author who wrote a book titled A Miserable Paradise. I was like, that sums (laughs) it up pretty good. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's great yeah yeah it, it was uh the first year up there was awesome the so we've talked about in the past but the porch fell off the place this winter um and that was like that was like the first thing we did like even before we even walked into the place like we had four people just like pulling those boards apart and stuff was that the bonfire big bonfire you had that 
One, no, that was the couch. That was the couch. And the mattresses. <laughs> mattresses. And their bins of moldy clothes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it my like my priority is like get the place so it's not gonna fall over and not just rot away. And like get the boats running to a point where we can like depend on them, you know? Mm-hmm. And like after that, it's just like kind of what you said, pick a project every year and get it done. But like yeah, this and like th- this is remote and off the grid, so you can't go to the hardware store, which is very frustrating. Oh, so yeah. frustrating when you need something. You're like, dude, I am one spark plug away from being set, and I can't get the spark. And plug. we were. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, it's mad. And and like I'll point out that if we didn't have you guys there, like we would have been screwed with a lot of shit. Just because like if I didn't have the right tool or whatever, I just walked over to your place and grabbed it and made sure I put it back in the right spot. But yeah, there's like so many things that we were working on that was like, we just didn't have the right stuff to get it done. Yeah. And it's very helpful having you there that you, you know, you guys have been established there for what, 20 some years. Yeah. Almost 20. But apparently so. you don't need the right stuff to catch hundred pound halibut, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> yeah. We got lucky. My my one frustration um, is I don't the only thing in my life where I, the more I do it the worse I get at it would be uh, black cod fishing. Oh, you think you're getting worse at it? <laughs> yeah. Didn't you bring From, in a few? You got one this year. You've gone all in on that too. I'm all in, and every year it gets worse and worse and worse. The first time I ever dropped down. Within like five minutes, I had a black cod. Caught a few that day. Then went out that summer and did real good. And it's just gotten worse and worse and worse well, and worse. What and worse. was going through your head when you pulled that one black cod up was, and took a good look at it this the, year? Oh, this year? Yeah. I was ecstatic. <laughs> okay. Because I like how cold they are when they're coming up <laughs> out of 1,300 feet of water. Didn't you say something about maybe it could be like a migratory issue? No. No, I just gotten worse at it, man. Mm. It's personal. Me. I don't know though. I mean, the halibut fishing this year seemed way slower than way normal. off. It was way off. Every year there's things that are good and there's things that are bad. Yeah, I was gonna ask it. Did, did it pick up when it got warm after we left? No, no, no. Salmon fishing was lights out. Yeah, that was fun. The halibut fishing was dead. Scallop diving never been better. Yeah, but I mean, not that you know they've always been there, but. Shrimping seemed a little dead. Yeah, never been better on scallops. Crabbing was good. Black cotton was miserable. Every year something's good, something sucks. Yeah. Boy, it sucks letting those yellow eye go, man. Yep. Cut a lot of those. Can we tell the story, the hilarious story about the two giant halibut from our camp? You can close it out, but I'm afraid you'd be giving away your little spot. No, no, no. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm going to talk more about the uh, people and the dynamic in our little dinghy that we had go ahead we'll close out with that (laughs) okay so it's a close call story (laughs) it easily could have been um seth you were there so i'll let you yeah so we we were having um when we bought this place it came with came with three skiffs um and three motors one's a honda 30 horse one was a mercury 40 horse and one was a suzuki Four horse a medley, yeah. and that's the thing about <laughs> these kicker. types of deals. When you buy something and you're not there to inspect, there, there's no like inspection. There's no formal process. So like you get 
the list of things that are on. Oh, know. they don't move out either. Right. They yeah. just walk away. So you away. get all the shit and <laughs> yeah. you don't know whether it works or not. Yeah. So we went in, I went into this being like, if we can get at least one motor running and boat running to go fish, I'll be ecstatic. So we're going through our motors. We find out that um, the Mercury wasn't going to, I mean, it, it's, it was running and then it wasn't running. We couldn't figure out what was going on. So we, we determined that that thing wasn't going to work for the summer. And then we had uh Honda 30, which fired right up and was running like a champ, but the, um, there was a seal on the hydraulic cylinder that was leaking and we leaked all of our hydraulic fluid out of the electronic tilt. So, um, we couldn't tilt our motor up, which you need to be able to do that. So that one was out and all we had left was our little Suzuki kicker four horse. And we put that on a, it was a Sears boat, a 16 foot yeah, genuine Sears, Sears boat. boat. I I have no clue what time, what it's, it'll sign us as Sears. Yeah. It looks like it's been through the ringer. No clue what year it was built. Oh, that is an old ass boat. Yeah. Uh, Moss hanging off. It. Yeah. It looks like shit. so we couldn't go too far in it. So we would pack, four people in the evenings and go out to this one hole um, and fish halibut. And I think it was the first night we were out there. Yeah, it was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The first night we were out there halibut fishing. Um, our, we had uh, our one buddy, Sam and his Becca or his girlfriend, Becca were up there with us and we were catching like quill backs and stuff. And I was teaching them how to use like the deep release and whatnot. And, um, she like, and I, I was very adamant and like you are like when you're running these circle hooks, cause we were, we were just running, um, some circle hooks and, and cut bait. And I was like, when you get a fish, it's not like normal fishing where you set the hook. You just got to like reel into them. So, um, she at one point in time starts getting this hit. And I'm sitting there watching her rod, and she's like, what do I do? And I just, it got to the point where I was like, reel. <laughs> so she, she starts reeling, and you never think it's going to be some big-ass fish, you know? There's always the the opportunity for that to happen, but she starts reeling, and you can tell very quickly that it's not just your average little halibut or rockfish or yellow eye, you know, whatever. Um, and... Yeah, she fought it for a while and it got to the point where she was like couldn't fight it anymore. So she handed pulling up, the boat all over. Pulling the boat all over. Yeah, we didn't Keep have an mind, anchor. There's four people in this little Sears boat. <laughs> we didn't have an anchor, so it was pulling the the boat all over the place. And uh finally get it up and get it up to the surface and we didn't have a harpoon or anything. We had a gaff and a rope. And my buddy Casey gaffed it and as it was coming up, I was like telling Casey, I'm like, when that thing gets to the surface, you're going to have to gaff it. And I said, when you gaff it, just freaking hold on because it's going to go nuts. And I have this video of him doing it. Thing comes to the surface. We're all like, holy shit. Like we were not expecting this huge halibut. He gaffed it. Thing goes nuts. Um, he ends up, it ends up coming ungaffed several times. Uh, luckily kept it on the hook. Um, we were able to get a rope around its tail and we, um, you know, when it finally settled down, I bled it out. So it died before we brought it in the boat. Cause I, I was telling him like, 
do not bring that big of a fish in the boat still alive because everything in the boat's going to be out of the boat. You know, if that's things in here flopping around, you're going to break an arm or whatever. This sounds very calm. There's a video. It is complete and total chaos. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, finally got it. Uh, you know, we killed it in the water and brought it in the boat and putted our way back to the cabin. And we were, we were like, so excited to get back and show you guys that night because <laughs> no one was expecting it. Um, that was, was one seventeen. That one was one thirteen, and then then the next night it was the next night. I think uh, those guys. I wasn't there for the next night, but those guys went back out and caught a one thirty three in the same spot. <laughs> so amazing, <laughs> so awesome. Two biggest fish of the whole trip. Yeah. Oh my god! In the little in a lot boat. of people pounded a lot Sears of water. Boat. Two biggest oh. fish of the whole trip. They they were just beyond ecstatic. They left and she was like, Becca, she was like, I need to do this every year. You need to invite me every year. Do you guys remember uh, the first night when you brought that big one back, what Steve said? They it'll, come and- it'll never happen again. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah but yeah. also a lot of people were saying that the big one's coming twos. Yeah, I said I sighted five <laughs> times when we've caught two giants in the same spot. You were right on that. So there, Brody. Well, you were right in wrong then. Yeah. All right, guys. Go uh what's your what's the name of your gallery? I call it the studio gallery, but you can find it on my Instagram, which is K Ray Artworks, and my website is krayartworks.com. K Ray. So K R A E Artworks. Go check out the work. Get your turkey t shirt. <laughs> and listen to Cole's calls. And then donate some money to the Wyoming Corner Cross. It's getting expensive around here. Yeah. <laughs> donate some money to the Wyoming Corner Crosser. Buy a shack in Alaska. Yeah. <laughs> buy, find up some people and buy a rotten shack in Alaska. I don't know. All right, buddy. Thanks for joining. Telling you what, Decked is a game changer. Decked has completely changed how I load, organize my truck. All my stuff that I want is always in there, out of my way, and secure. It's perfect. If you own a pickup truck that you use, you know, like a truck, the Decked drawer system gives you weatherproof storage for all your gear. You can lock it up, too. You keep your tools and gear organized, job site or out in the field. Go to deck.com slash meat eater to receive free shipping. Go to deck.com slash meat eater. Get yourself some free shipping. Hey, if you follow wildlife news at all, you're probably aware that the island of Maui has an incredible abundance of Axis deer, so much so that they're causing ecological damage. Well, Maui Nui venison is thinning out some of those Axis deer herds and delivering venison sticks and fresh cuts to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I Venison.com. Use promo code MEATEATER for 20% off your order.